Welcome to Discovering Academia, an interdisciplinary podcast with preeminent professors from around the world, striving to stoke the curiosity of scholars everywhere. Hey, I'm Keller Kramer, co-host of Discovering Academia. And this is Brent. So this episode is with Dewey Kawa Amberwadi, and we're going to give a little bit of background as to how we got to this interview before we get into it. So right now we're studying in the National University of Singapore for the fall of 2023. One of the classes we're taking is called Beyond the Frame, studying traditional and performative art in Southeast Asia, primarily Indonesia. It's called Beyond the Frame because a lot of the art is beyond your traditional painting and looking a lot more at performative dancing and things of that nature. We look a lot at textiles, which are called batik, different temples, and different forms of performative art, such as the Wayan Wong, which is a dance, Wayan Kulit, which is a shadow puppet show, and the Gamlan, which is a traditional music ensemble. After each lecture, we would go and play the Gamlan for about an hour. Part of the trip included a week-long field trip to Jakarta, the cultural hub of Indonesia on the island of Java, which is the same island of Jakarta, just the capital. There was street art everywhere, a very vibrant nightlife, and you could see the mix of traditional and modern art everywhere. We'll walk you through our trip day by day and explain what we learned. Yep. So we started off on Monday by going to a place called the Tamansari, which is translated into the perfumed garden. It's where the Sultan had his garden and bathhouse. And the Sultan is like the regional leader. Throughout a lot of the Tamansari, there were a lot of flowers and they did performances there for the Sultan. They also had two bathing areas, like pools, and one for like all the mistresses and the women and then one separate just for the Sultan himself. And the interesting part of that was because it was a long time ago, they didn't have like chemical perfumes and lotions. They would use these flowers for like to smell better. So at the sides of the pools, there was um, flowers where they would burn them. And when the women got out of the pool, they would stand next to like these flowers and burning. And so they could just smell like that before they uh, get dressed again and go back out and live their life. Uh, one really interesting part of it was the architecture of the Tamansari was very heavily influenced from like both Hindu, Muslim and Christian backgrounds. And it kind of just speaks to the overall culture in Indonesia being very multicultural. I think there's over 300 different like indigenous people. There are types of groups and many more languages. And then for a long part of their history, they're very religious, but had a mix and coexisted across these different religions very well. And the Sultan himself was Muslim, but he still used all these different religions when building his own like garden. Another part of it that was like pretty interesting was the fact that the tour, when it left the building, went through this n- tiny neighborhood. And we even had to walk through someone's backyard as they were gardening. And all the shops were lined up along the tour's path, which just made us really think about how this small town really had to cater to the tourists for a lot of their economic growth. And afterwards on Monday, once we were finished at the Tamansari, we met up with some local students. They were actually some of Dewey's students. They go to the Gajah Mata University, which is the main university in Georgia. And Georgia is the abbreviation for Georgia Carta. And we 
went through this main street called Mar- Malio Borough. And the street's interesting because it connects not directly, but geographically in line with the mountain and then the Craton, which is where like the leader, the Sultan lived and then the ocean. And that has like cultural relevance because the mountains are holy and they're viewed as like the birth. And then you kind of walk down Malio Borough, the street, which is like life's path and the Craton where the Sultan lived is kind of like the idea of like your height of life, your, your jobs, like the peak of living and then going down to the ocean was kind of seen as like the final steps towards death. And this was all explained to us by the students there while we were walking around looking at shops and like the nightlife. And um, it was really cool just to like talk with them because when we we're talking about the different cultures of the students there, they're exactly the same like types of students that we have back home. And that was just really fun to see. Yeah, so Tuesday was the temple day. We went to a few different temples, but I'm only going to focus on the main one we went to, which was Prambanan. It's a, it's a famous Hindu temple in Georgia and we walked through for about two hours with a guide. We got to see the two major Hindu epics wrapping around the main building and just seeing how those stories unfold. Yeah, the epics were carved into the stone, like kind of pictures depicting different little snapshots from the whole story as you walked around. And you walked around in a clockwise manner. Yeah. And it was a ton of fun. Like, obviously, the story is related to what we learned in class. But one of the more interesting parts was seeing certain images that were points of contention for the storyline. So there's one where it's a woman getting dragged. And the story isn't clear if she's going with the person dragging her, if she's getting kidnapped. And just we talked about that in class, but seeing it in person and seeing why it isn't necessarily clear was really interesting. And as we were walking around, it was also really nice to see a local Javanese school there. And they were kind of just in awe of our class and just really excited to see us. It kind of seemed like they hadn't seen a group of Chinese and white people in a long time, if ever. Yeah, they were like grade school level kids, like ages roughly around 10 to 12. Yeah, and they were running up to us, asking our names, trying to take selfies with us. And they thought it was the funniest thing ever. And it just kind of made made our morning. And then uh, another part was we got to see uh, two local Hindus practicing at the temple. And that really allowed it to go full circle to see how the tourism applied to this cultural area, how the stories applied, but also how people are really living this life. And, you know, it is a part to them that matters to their religion. And then on Wednesday, we started off the day with a Wayang workshop with a local artist named Subandi. And the Wayang workshop was building the puppets for the Wayang. So that's part of the Wayang Kulit, which is shadow puppet. And they're, they're made out of animal hide and they take metal tools and punch out the skin and then cut it and then paint it and put it on sticks. We got to make those with the artist there. He has been, his family has been doing it for multiple generations now and he himself has branched out into making art that uses traditional motifs and techniques and symbols, but does it now in the frame. Does it on paintings and more modern techniques to bridge that gap of modern art and traditional art and to spread the Javanese culture beyond just the 
island itself. And we actually got to talk to him for about 10, 15 minutes alone in his studio. And hopefully we'll be able to release the video of us interviewing him about it. And he just broke down some of the art, why he chose certain things and really got an appreciation for what he's trying to do with his artwork there. Afterwards, uh, once we left his studio and his studio was literally his like house with a studio attached in an area where people can come over and like do studio classes and it's in the middle of a neighborhood too. And it was really, really fun to be there. And uh, they actually had some people playing instruments too while we were making the puppets. But after we left, uh, Kyler and I walked around the town a little bit, got some food, hopped into some different art galleries in the area because like Keller was mentioning earlier, just the whole place is full of art music and everyone just seems to be like doing like cultural activities. And that was really fun too because we got to see more art that again blended modern and traditional javanese techniques after that i went to a wayang orang which is wayang basically means performance and then the orang part means like the people dancing so they have the puppet version and then the people dancing version and that one was really really cool to see because they are and dewey actually performs in that too which we will talk about during the episode but uh they dance like so elegantly like puppets and a lot of their movements are based on that but it it just adds an extra element seeing people there doing it and then um, at that performance they have the music going the people dancing and then in this one they actually had the people some people talking too so it was a, it was a lot of fun to like actually see that style performed yeah, and then Thursday we went back to that same batik workshop that we had gone the other day, and we actually got some of our own batik, and we got to do a workshop with the class where we were making our own, and the version that me and Brent did was called batik tulis, which is one of the more traditional forms. There's about five forms, but that was the one that appealed to us the most. It's the handmade form. Yeah, and you started off by penciling in the design on cloth, which for them they gave us a very clean outline. Luckily. <laughs> And then they have a pull, like a pot of hot wax, and you have this kind of pencil with a, I guess like a little pot reservoir that you fill with a dye, almost like you're watering plants. Yeah, and you have to carefully kind of drip it off to where it's not flowing too much, but also not too light. And then you slowly go through the dye, and it took us a long time, and we both had to get ours assisted by the people that worked there. And just watching how quickly they move compared to us was very, very impressive. Some needed more assistance than others. Yeah, that's Brent for, for reference. <laughs> um, but anyway, so then we got we finished that. And in the same studio, they have the dyeing and the entire process being done. So we got to walk over, watch them dye it, pick the colors we wanted, watch them dry it. And then you see them remove the wax and throw it away. They have this massive pot of wax of all different colors, which is... Yeah, they can reuse the wax like four or five times before they have to throw it away. Yeah. So then they finish it up for you and, you know, it looks very pretty, very nice souvenir to have. And then we kind of walked around the area a little bit and got to see they have the batik cap, which is a different form of the batik that's more of a stamp. And so it's still using the same wax, but they have much more intricate patterns interlaid. It's kind of like etching almost in a way. And they would put it on to dye on clothes and mass produce it. So that was very enjoyable. And it was nice to kind of go full circle back there. 
And then that night we went to the Wyong Kulit, which is the shadow performance. And it goes from like around 10 p.m. was when we showed up. And it goes till four in the morning. Like these go very late. And there are community events. There were people from all ages, whether it be, you know, early teens to people in their 80s, all there enjoying it. And they weren't necessarily family. It was just a thing that genuinely people of all ages enjoyed going to. And one of the more interesting things that Brent saw was a chicken yeah. being sacrificed. Yeah. I didn't see it actually being sacrificed, but uh, the gong in the gamelan, which is like the mu- musical ensemble, is like the most sacred instrument they have. So next to it, they put offerings. And then, so the gong player in the middle of the performance was like feeding the chicken bread. And then our teacher was telling us how uh, that chicken's actually supposed to be a sacrifice at the end of the show. Yeah. And then the people that are performing are all wearing the traditional batik and they have different amounts of accessories based on essentially their rank within the community. Yeah. And also different patterns. Yeah. And different patterns. Um, So it's really cool to kind of see some of those religious, not religious, but cultural symbols that we had talked about in class represented by people wearing them. And then we luckily, we were about to leave and order our grab back when we stumbled into this old man and got talking with him and he seemed to really like us. So we ended up staying for another hour and a half and talking to him and learning about his story. And he actually played in the wine coolit for the Kratan, uh, which is the Sultan's palace, as well as was a tour guide for the, what was it? The Taman? Taman Sari. For the Taman Sari. Yeah. That one was, that was cool because uh, that performance we were at was actually at the Kraton, which is a little bit less common. They do it in, in a bigger production. They can do it in people's houses and wherever they want to do it. Um, yeah, the, one of the more interesting parts for me was just the fact that it was so casual despite being at like this palace and people come and go. Like we were saying, we were able to have conversations in the back. Like It's a six-hour show, but... They have like com- comedic breaks in the middle just to keep it like entertaining and people, you can be on your phone. People are smoking cigarettes in the back. Like it wasn't overly formal to everyone, but to some, it was definitely a much more formal event. Yeah. And we watched it from the back, which is what is now commonplace. So you watch it looking at all the performers as they go, but originally you'd watch it from the front and only see the shadows. But then as people kind of, as it became more popular and more normalized, like people wanted to see the entire performance because that's really where it becomes very impressive seeing the, you know, it's probably 60 people at least yeah. all doing their own thing, all making the entire part of the whole hundreds come of puppets. together. Yeah. Hundreds of puppets. And it was just very intricate. And even there was an English translator and initially we're like, oh, that's nice. It's very convenient. About an hour and we realized she's typing it in real time yeah. as the performance is going, trying to make it you know, appealing to the audience that was there. Yeah. And especially from like a, my background from the West, it it was a little hard to be like overly entertained by the puppet show from like the backside of it. But when we went and we walked around to the side where it was only the puppets and it became, I could see how it was a more entertaining show on that aspect because it felt like more of a story that you would watch on TV, which is something I'm much more used to. Whereas you got a full appreciation for all the details that go into the show from watching from the back. But uh, it was fun to be able to walk around and be able to see both sides of it. So then uh, Friday, we went to this artist who his name is Harry Dono. And he's one of the more prominent Indonesian artists. 
and we actually went to his studio and walked around. He does a lot of sculptures and a lot of them have political messages in, involved in it. Uh, some of the puppets that he made like had masks after the pandemic. Other ones was like students typing away, just kind of showing that they're not really thinking in class. We got to see some artwork that he's currently working on, which we can't give de- a lot of details on, but it's some very prominent political figures around the world being kind of made fun of. And overall, that was just great to see a lot of his work because it basically became just a museum just for his work. And you got to see how his style was very present throughout the entire thing. It's actually really cool because the, there's like foot pedals where you go and step on it near whatever art piece you're near and it lights up, music plays and the puppets or whatever the actual piece was, like moves around a little bit and it's very interactive. Um, a lot of the faces were pretty disturbing from our perspective, a lot of it purposely so, but also a lot of those disturbing faces have cultural relevance in like history on the island too. So the pup it matches some of the puppets and matches some of the other prominent stories that have been told there. And then later that night, uh, we went to the community center where uh, Dewey holds a lot of uh, classes and community events along with like the, the rest of the community. And we did a Wayang Arang workshop where that's the dance performance. And uh, I was actually Rama, which was the king in this story. Uh, the basic storyline was his wife got captured and then when she returned, he needed to test her purity. So he burned her and then she made it out of the fire unscathed, proving her purity. And then they got remarried. So uh, we did that dance and it was really fun. Cause like we got a very, very minor costume and they taught us the technique and to imagine doing that for hours on end, like 20 minutes was like already like hard to dance and like keep the right postures. And it's just so impressive that they do that for hours on end. Yeah. And for reference, like the posture is you don't move your shoulders essentially at all while you're moving and you're moving entirely on your tiptoes. Yeah. And then uh, Keller was actually my monkey servant warrior. Monkey warrior. Yeah. <laughs> servant. But uh, he basically when I walked out as the king, uh, I had behind me like all of my little monkey army and they're the ones who like help because like my wife on the other side of the stage had her group of women with her as well. So there was probably around like 30 or 40 dancers and it was our class from NUS and then uh, Dewey's students who are first years at her university. So that was a lot of fun. And afterwards we ate dinner together um, it was fun. It was cool because like it was very like traditional setup for dinner, just huge buffet table in the middle, and then we all just sat on the floor and ate together. Um, probably some of the best Indonesian food we had that entire trip, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and then after that, we did a Wayang Kanchil, which is another puppet. So Kulit is the puppet, the shadow puppet, but Kanchil specifically means animal puppets. And these ones are typically used for children to like tell like fables and get kind of moral messages across to children. And uh, we did that. The class played gamelan, which is the um, brass. Is it brass? Yeah, it's brass. 
the class played uh, the gamelan, which is the brass music ensemble. Um, probably the closest thing that I knew of would probably be like a xylophone and that type of thing I did in grade school. Uh, just like a reference. Um, and it was about a 20 minute live show that we live streamed on YouTube. Hopefully we'll be able to find the link and attach it here. But uh, that was great. And just, it was so fun to have all the students watching us, probably making fun of us for how bad we were. And then the NUS students playing. And then uh, Dewey's father was actually the puppet master on that show. And then Saturday went to a Biennale art collective, which for us composed one of four different villages throughout the morning and seeing how different artists were working on various installations. Um, when we first got there, there was a group that had just flown in from Thailand to explain their art collective. And then we went to the second one, which was more focused on agriculture. And for me, that was one of the more interesting ones. It was at a rice field. And the guy there was building this massive like s- circle, essentially. It's like a fair circle. Like wheel. a wheel, yeah. They were going to use for rice cultivation. And again, reality wasn't a very practical thing to use in a farm, but it was just kind of interesting to see the art actually implemented in the field. Whereas a lot of the stuff we had seen earlier was meant to be distinct from the environment. And I think there was a huge emphasis on this for it to be very sustainable, very, although like not overtly practical, like a typical farm equipment, there was some use for a lot of the different pieces we saw and they wanted it to be able to last longer than the actual event itself. So they didn't want to just come in make this thing and just be useless after the five day or however long the Biennale was. It, there could be use cases for a lot of these different things beyond just the event. Yeah. And the last place we went to, we got to see the installation actually being put up in real time. And that was just kind of cool after having gone to so many different museums and studios seeing how intentional they were about how they were setting up certain things and the positioning they were using for that. And then that night we went and did a recording with Dewey. So we drove back out, we got there early and where we did the recording, where the gunman was, was this community center. And so we got to talk with the guy that ran the radio for that area, as well as the main treasure for the area. And it was just really fun to hang out. They didn't know who we were really at all. We just said we were here for Dewey and they, they like, immediately took us in yeah it helped us out and started up conversation super kind asking about what we're doing like why we're there and just curious yeah so that was a lot of fun then dewey showed up with her son juna and we made our way into the gamelan room to do the recording so we did the recording in the same room that there was the performance and the show or the recording itself was a little bit messy yeah a little chaotic (laughs) which we'll talk a little bit about later but it was just a lot of fun to do the recording in a different setting. I think every time we've done it, we've done it in a professor's room. Yeah, office or conference room. And this time we're on the floor of a music studio. Yeah, and it was I don't know, a lot more fitting for, for the conversation. And once we wrapped that up, we went back outside and got to talk with the same group of men as well as some other ones that were there who were just playing cards, enjoying their community. Yeah, this little community was part of like georgia's a major city but this is way on the outskirts about like 30 40 minutes outside of the where we were staying with as, the, as a class and you could tell immediately when we got there especially when it's just me and keller with the podcast equipment and like just two white guys walking around it we did not stand in like everyone's staring at us and we like go down like a small little dirt road and 
it's all these houses and then the community center and that was it it was cool to just get off the like beaten path and where all the tourists were and just kind of get a little bit more integrated into what their local life was then after that we went and got dinner with dewey's father and mother which was a ton of fun took us a while to get there because brent couldn't fit in the car um so we had to get some a grab which is their version of uber and by the time we got to the restaurant they were actually closed or sold out of food for the night rather so we went down the street a little bit to this really small shop vendor like it was a cart essentially he cooked on a cut open propane tank so they cut open a propane tank put coals in it and then like a wok style pan and that's what the entire restaurant's food was cooked on yeah so we had some traditional food there which was i think also one of our favorite meals of the whole trip and it was just a real privilege to get time to sit down and talk to them about you know their family's history why they love the arts and what the arts mean to the community as a whole yeah and then after dinner, we went back to Dewey's house. Um, and again, Brent could fit in the car. So he went back to the community center with um, Dewey to get the podcast equipment. And I went to her house and babysat her son, Juno, for a little bit. Did some reading and got to watch Indonesian Spongebob, which was a true pleasure. And then as we left, we stayed a little bit later, had coffee with her father and then their nephew, I think. Yeah, some other family members. Their nephew and some other family members came over and we stayed till midnight. Probably, um, yeah. And then as we left, it was really cute. Juna gave us this handshake where standard handshake and then he took our hands and put it up to his head as a sign of endearment. Like press his hand, our hands against his cheek. Yeah. And that was just very cool and very cute. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he called us Mass Keller and Mass Brent. Yep. So that was basically the end of the trip uh, with the class after about a week long there. Uh, Sunday, we basically just flew home and planned our next bit of little travels, which you all will see later, hopefully. Uh, overall, though, just bear with us in this episode. It's a bit different of a format than, we're, than we typically do. Uh, June and her son was quite rambunctious in the background during the recording, so I'm sure you'll hear instruments being played He'll make a guest appearance a couple times. Uh, he even locked us in the building we were in. He went outside and then somehow managed to lock us in there. So there'll be a lot more breaks, edits, but uh, stay tuned because it's a lot of fun to hear about what she's done. And uh, she even sings for us, which is like the singing would be like part of the traditional dance performances. And with that being said, here is the episode with Professor Dewey of Gajamata University. We hope you enjoy. Welcome, Professor Dewey. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you um, for having me. Must Brent and must Keller to this podcast. Mm-hmm. We'd love to start off by hearing a little bit more about your story and what got you interested in studying Indonesian culture and dance. Yes, one thing is that I'm an Indonesian, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of mysteries about Indonesia. Especially, um, I live in Jogja, I live in Java Island, and I still see the um, Jogja, Java, still a mystery. Mm-hmm. More, um, a lot of stories that have not been investigated or explored. Mm-hmm. Do you, have you always viewed it as a mystery, or was it, did it become more mysterious after you started studying it? Uh, before I studied, yeah, because I'm, I'm a Javanese, um, it's in my everyday life, yeah, being mm-hmm. a Javanese, because um, Indonesia is not a homogeneous country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very diverse, and um, 
it's been my obsession to travel across mm-hmm. Indonesia, and it's not easy for me just to travel from one uh, place to other place because it's quite um, big, mm-hmm. and I think each. Each part of Indonesia has its own stories and narratives and also features that I think intrigues researchers mm-hmm. to study more. Yeah. And on that diversity, could you talk a little bit about the tolerance in Indonesia, both cultural and religious? Yes, that is a very good question about this. Yeah, when we talk about Indonesia, we some people will think of uh, conflicts. And I think the conflicts that shape us are uh, to be stronger. Why? Because uh, with the conflicts, with the um, the tolerance, the issues of tolerance here, um, we study more about ourselves. And why why does it happen? Because Indonesia itself um, has more than. Seventeen thousands with names and more, or like fifteen or sixteen thousand islands without names and ethnic groups and uh, diverse languages. And when we talk about one society, one ethnic group, um, it has more communities. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about tolerance, yeah, not only about religion but also the uh, ethnicities too. Uh, we have uh, six acknowledged religions mm-hmm. or official religions. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they're actually world religions, Islam, uh, Catholicism, Protestantism, Hinduism, Buddhism, and Confucianism. Mm-hmm. They're actually world religions. Yeah. And we have local religions, because, like I said before, we have ethnic groups, yeah, like so many. Mm-hmm. And then uh, local practices are still being practiced by the locals, but they're not recognized as a world religion, uh, I mean, uh, official religions yeah. by the mm-hmm. states, by the governments. And uh, that's why tolerance must be admitted. So we must embody uh, what tolerance is because um, in one place it's not homogeneous. So you can meet, you can see people with different um, backgrounds. It's like in Jogja, some people say that Jogjakarta is the miniature of Indonesia. Okay. Yeah, so you can meet people uh, in Indonesia. You can find uh, people from Sabang, from Aceh to Papua here. Mm. Yeah. With all uh, different religions in here. Yeah. And then we were reading one of your papers and talking about the mixing or respecting of both the local culture and the religion and how uh, they kind of separate that. Could you talk about uh, maybe briefly explain like what Wayang is and then how people's religions and like cultures are like okay. expressed in that? Yeah, um, the cultural setting in Indonesia. Uh, the tradition, the culture is not only shaped by our own local identities, but also the foreign influences, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the foreign influences is the, the world religions, yeah. But then when they are here, yeah, they are here, they also interact with the local practices. Mm-hmm. So that's why syncretism emerges. Yeah, yeah, it's very syncretic, and uh, we also have acculturation, assimilations here about the cultures, and um, when we go over the religions and cultures, so they they intertwines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pros and cons. Uh, it's been debatable about the issues here. Uh, some people separate religions. Some people re- separate, uh, put them together, like combines. Mm-hmm. When we talk about culture, yeah. Each religion has its own culture too. Mm-hmm. But yes, um, I can see that the syncretic 
practices in Indonesia, especially in Java, because we are here in Java in Yogyakarta. Yeah, we can see from um, the artifacts from that we have to learn from the history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, world religions came later. Yeah, because they have their own local practices, but then. Uh, what religions came, uh, starting with the Hinduisms, the uh, Buddhisms, yeah, and along with the Wayang, mm-hmm. yeah, the Wayang or the puppets, the stories, because uh, when we talk about um, stories that are taken from uh, to perform some of the performing arts here, mm-hmm. mostly from Ramayana and Mahabharata epics, mm-hmm. they're originally they're not uh, from originally not from Jaffa, mm-hmm. from Indonesia. But they they're from India, yeah, yeah, yeah. and India um, spreads out, yeah, to some other um, areas, yeah. And um, when uh, people here, well, we have four kingdoms, yeah, and then the the kingdoms were uh, embracing Hinduism, Buddhism, yeah, but then Islam came. Mm-hmm. We still have the Wayang. So Wayang was used by the. Um, Let's say the the Muslim saints. If you ever heard of it, the nine Muslim saints. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of them they were using the wayang to disseminate uh, Islam. Okay, so that's the story. But there's always a but. Yeah, um, they made some modifications of the wayang so that they uh, wouldn't look uh, similar to humans. Mm-hmm. So they made uh, them uh, like uh, what he calls them not. Two-dimensional puppets. Mm. Okay, yeah. <coughs> Not three-dimensional. Yeah. Two-dimensional puppets. Yeah, only uh, front and behind. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then the longer arms, uh, longer nose, and everything that really like did. They're not humans. They don't look like humans. Mm-hmm. So it's fine because uh, we cannot make something that um what he calls uh similar to humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Is is. And that's in Islam, or like you can't replicate a human. Is that like an Islamic uh, mm-hmm. like rule? Yes, okay. yes, yes. Yeah. And so the that's why the um, the Muslim saints they created that way yeah. uh, such uh, puppets, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they use the puppets, so they don't like they didn't they did not put them away, throw them away, but yeah. they were using them because. Um, talking about marketing, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is really obvious that uh, if they want to, if if you want to disseminate something, that you need to get you get you need to get, to get to know to the market, yeah, the the area yeah. that you need to uh, where where you are and what you need to do to work it out, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, people before they embrace Islam's, they were not. Muslims, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. they embrace uh, other religions. So that's mm-hmm. why the um, the saints, the Muslim saints, they were using it just to to approach them. But until today, now we understand uh, that Wayang can also perceived from the perspective of Islam too, because of the values that have been incorporated or mm-hmm. inserted by the saints. Okay. So was Wayang here before uh, Islam came, or yeah, okay, well, yeah. But then uh, it got modif- uh, modified. modified, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, real quick, just for the listener, it's a shadow puppet is like the translation, right? The shadow puppet show. Mm-hmm. Wayang. The uh, shadow is uh, Wayang. Wayang. Okay. And Kulit is leather. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, Wayang. That means shadow because um, we like. Not not now, yeah. Not yeah. now. Like in the past, we 
watched, we saw Wayang from behind the screen. So we were mm-hmm. not able to see the puppeteer yeah. or the player scene. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about why that's shifted and where now more people will watch kind of what would be considered from the back and see the performances and yeah. the performers? Yeah, um, like I said before, it's a wayang, yeah. So people see the shadow because we have to be able to see our own shadow, right? Mm-hmm. And um, in the past, we were not able to see the uh, puppets or mm-hmm. anything at the puppeteer. But then um, more offers, more things to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the puppet performance, it is a performance. Mm-hmm. So we, um, a lot of things that can be offered by a puppet performance. Mm-hmm. Now, not only about uh, the uh, people wants to see the odd, no, no, the players, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. how young and, and how they dress up yeah. and also the singers, yeah, but also, but also the work of the puppeteers, yeah, playing the, the movements and then, um, what is it? Can we stop? Yeah, it's okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just got locked in by our son. Yeah. Where was I? Uh, just briefly explaining why the shift is going to looking at it from oh, yeah. okay. behind. Yeah, um, like uh, so many things to offer, yeah. And then the work, the crafting mm-hmm. of puppets. Yeah. With the colors, with the craft, yeah. Amazing. And then how they arrange the puppets. Yeah. To the right side, to the left side. Yeah. Yeah, so it's eventually this is a performance so not mm-hmm. only seeing something behind uh, only the shadow not only about the lakon all the story but everything even the beauty of the gamelans mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and those are the musical instruments that sit behind the show just for the listener and um also the puppets are made out of it's buffalo hide mm-hmm. right and they're incredibly detailed and painted beautifully. And earlier this week, we actually got to make it. And oh, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, the, the respect for how like hard that is to make and like, because you like use metal tools to punch out the leather right. and then paint it. Right. Uh, were they always painted like that beautifully uh, when people were viewing from the back or from the front? Yes. Okay. Yes, yeah. but uh, it's been uh, there's been a development, right? Once again, or oh, coloring the puppets. Now we have what we call the proto or prada. That's gold paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's much more expensive. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. And then talking about like another type of performance, could you explain some of the dance performances? Yeah. And kind of where religion plays into that. Right about the about the dance drama, yeah. Um, Wayang Kulit is the source, mm-hmm. yeah. And then, if you hear some noises, her son's playing some of the instruments in the background. Uh, right, yeah. <laughs> I'm so proud of. Uh, his name is Junaya. Yep. His um, full name is Er Junatya. Uh, so that will remind him of his mama's experience as a dancer. <laughs> Sorry, he's really a stage person. Yeah. He it's got it's up good. yesterday during the performance and showed us right. some of his work with the puppets. Uh, that's okay. He will become a scientist and also a cultural engineer. <laughs> right. And... Um, <laughs> My dream back. And uh, the Wayang Kulit, yeah. So we sourced the, the dance drama to Wayang Kulit because mm-hmm. Wayang Kulit came first. Yeah, appeared okay. first. Yeah. And then we have what, one property with all the stories. And the dance drama, mostly we take um, stories from in uh, India too, yeah. The Ramayana and Mahabharata. But how does it go? Okay. Wayang Kulit. And then we have the Wayang Wong. Mm-hmm. Wong means human. So it's a human puppet. Yeah. 
yeah, that are played by humans. So is there a new puppeteer? Of course. So there's a puppeteer and he sits with the gamelan troops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, along the way, the performance. We also have sequences. We have the orders, just like in Wayang Kulit. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, yeah, in my point of view, there was a, like a cultural experiment. Yeah, because uh, Wayang Wang has been the state ritual in the our Islamic uh, kingdom in Yogyakarta in mm-hmm. the Kraton. Yeah, um, as a ritual. Uh, State, yeah, this is ritual, yeah, because um, the sultan, uh, in the past, they um, he uh, welcomed, yeah, the guests, yeah, mm-hmm. and um, he would have the performance to welcome all the guests coming mm-hmm. to the Kraton. Mm-hmm. And so, the Wayang Wong, we have dialogues, we have the narratives, we we need to dance. Yeah, we have to be able to dance. We have to be able to speak high Japanese and puppetry, mm-hmm. the puppetry language, or we call it bahasa uh, pedalangan. Pedalangan means puppetry. Okay. Bahasa means language, a puppetry language. And most of the puppetry language is taken from the the old Javanese mm-hmm. language. It's mm-hmm. called kawi. Kawi. Okay. Yeah. Maybe some of you may understand that the Kawi derived from the Sanskrit language. Okay. So it's it's not similar to our High Javanese. Okay. And then um, all the uh, performers have to understand the philosophical way of life and of the philosophy of the puppets, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. how to do the antawacana. Antawacana <laughs> means the the dialogue. Yeah. So they they do all these things. Mm-hmm. To become the um, performers of the Wayang Wong, mm-hmm. but then um, uh, time has changed. Uh, there was there was a lot of developments to this that uh, not all uh, performers could speak the language for the puppetry language. Okay, yeah, it's not easy. And then uh, then we have the ballet, the dance drama, the other mm-hmm. dance drama. Yeah, the ballet that means without dialogues. Yeah. Yeah. And um Is still, that the is that the Prambayana? Yeah, yeah, part of it. Yes. Yeah, some uh some people would uh pr- um perform the Ramayana ballet. And it's easier because they don't need to speak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dialogue. Because, because if you um if you do the Wayang Wong, so you uh, the attitude, the behavior and uh, doing the Wayang Wong also difference. For example, how you sit, how you stand, how you move. Like when you see the the puppets with the the sticks, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and all source to the Wayang yeah. uh, kulit, yeah, yeah, and even the um, the voice, yeah, because there are some there are characteristics. Mm-hmm. There are characters in Javanese Wayang Wong that different uh, differs uh, one character to the other characters mm-hmm. so if you cannot do the language you cannot do the characterizations you cannot do anything yeah. Yeah. of the wayang wong so the the response the next response will be the ballet so mm-hmm. not all the the ram or any ballet yeah, or malbarata or ramayana ballet we called it sindrataria seni seni Drama, tari. Seni means arts. Drama is drama. Tari yeah. means dance. So okay. that means mm-hmm. it's there is a drama. It's not only about how to learn or how to exp, uh, express the dance, but there is a story. Yes, thank you, baby. Oh, it's it's sendra tari. So you call it um, sendra tari. Yeah. This is like oh, this is an example. Yeah. Mm. I know you you need to sing too. 
Mm-hmm. You have to sing. If it's all you need to be able to sing. Like, to baran. This is uh, this is one uh, a song when we have the we have to challenge okay. other character. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then one other person will also respond with singing. Mm-hmm. This one, and then so like dialogue like this. Uh, Orang nak kawar utawa kenteng kinario pratondo tokosiro wani balik ake tindakku. So this is for the Arjuna. Okay. Because I also do the male refined characters. Uh-huh. So I do I do both female and male characters. But for the male characters, I'll do the I do I'm doing the refined characters. This is how. And then for the um, female character, for example, like. Um, This is for the strong character, okay. but mm-hmm. for the um, refined character, it's uh, I need to speak lower than this. Mm. Uh, like this, um, like this. Yeah. And we do this. Uh, how do you call the voices? Yeah, different voices. Mm-hmm. We also need to think to check. With the musics, mm-hmm. with the notes mm-hmm. of the gamelan, yeah. okay, this low, this low, or mm-hmm. this high, yeah. from the one, oh, do re mi fa sol la si do, the the score, the notation, one, two, three, four. Oh, okay, so you are character A. So this is three. This is you, your voice, and then uh, you number two. This is um um your voice. This what do you call the pitch? Yeah, yeah. the pitch. Yeah, one. And how long does it take to become a performer? To learn all those things, mo- learn the dance movements, learn the philosophy, learn the high Javanese. Like, do are most of the performers considered like elders? And like, what does that process look like? Yeah, um, it varies. Yeah, if you really want to do this, and then you want to invest your time and energy doing it, you can't. Because um, I also learned, I also observe. Yeah. non-Indonesian, non-Javanese. Mm-hmm. They spend like hours in doing the trainings and they can do it. Mm-hmm. But we are the Javanese, we also, uh, well, well, every day is my research, yeah. Every day is a research because when I move from one performance to another performance, I see something different. Even though we have the same stories, we meet the same people, yeah, in mm-hmm. the troops, yeah. A lot of things are different. How they um, learn, how they train, how they practice, and how they view, yeah, difference. That's why uh, learning this is not only uh, from the in the classroom because in the classroom mm. we don't have any. If you go to the school of arts, they don't really teach you how to become a wayang wong performer or any dance drama performer. So you have to move from one. Uh, stage for the stage. That's what I did actually, just to learn how to put the right makeup, the right mm-hmm. eyeshadow in my eyes. I have to move from one stage to other stage, and then uh, set next to the the dancer. Uh, okay. So this one, okay, for this character, uh, with this color, that color for this color, and then I have to I have to check on my own face, for example. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't study anatomy, mm-hmm. but, I didn't, yeah. but we had to understand that because we know our. We had to know our bodies. Mm-hmm. So it will take some time. So if you ask me how long, there is no specific durations for you to learn how because uh, I'm saying that this is learning by doing, and mm-hmm. the more you practice, 
it's a it's a skill. It is it's competence that uh, the competency skills they um they will embrace. What's the next questions? Yeah. Should I continue what I was just talking, or you um, you can cut it out? Do you have any? I mean, I think we kind of covered yeah. most of that. Yeah. Um. Uh, and just to clarify. Like, do most of the people who are researching, like yourself, uh, like traditional Javanese and like Indonesian culture, are they also performing and playing uh, in the shows like you are? Yes, okay. because here um, in Indonesia, in Jogja, yeah, we also have School of Arts, yeah, mm -hmm. and also university campuses that have uh, arts faculties or art departments. But my campus, no. Okay. Yeah. So I work for Universitas Gajah Mada is a research university and we but we don't have any arts uh faculty but we have the performing arts studies for master and um PhD. Okay. Mm -hmm. However, not all practitioners, I mean, I did research on dance like mm -hmm. uh, um academically speaking, yeah. Yeah. It was just for my dissertations. Mm -hmm. Okay. Before that I didn't. Okay, yeah. So it was just like um uh, how to say that? Like um, to give back mm -hmm. to my performing arts worlds, my contributions. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because uh, I gain a lot from these fields, yeah. Mm. But then I think I I needed to do something, and then I wrote that uh, as part of my dissertations. Even though my my major was actually interbiology studies, but I incorporated the idea of performing art inside mm. because that was the case or the field field um, research field investigation that I I did. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Okay. What else? <laughs> Say your name. My name is Juna. Juna Bebek. Yeah. Hey, how are you? Like, what are some of the ways that you're trying to preserve the culture, and what do you? view on the younger generation and their connection to some of these traditional forms of art and you know how ways to get them involved okay it's been a challenge for me um yes of course since i work as a lecturer i have a channel i have an access to do it why 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 i why do i have this kind of uh idea to preserve is because i think it's my duty to continue Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, because I do, I do that thing, this cultural thing. Mm -hmm. If I don't do anything about it, maybe I don't have any ideas. But since that I do, and my family also influences me a lot, even though they didn't ask me to do this thing, but um, I saw opportunities. Yeah, mm -hmm. opportunities uh, for me to Can you open it to share what we have to others mm -hmm. because uh, mostly I was quite concerned that um, non-Indonesian people, they came here to learn mm -hmm. and then they demonstrated Hello. Um, our traditions mm -hmm. yeah, uh, to different audiences, like wider audiences. Yeah. And it was like, I was a little bit, a little bit shamed, ashamed mm -hmm. yeah, and shy because of this. But um, I was also lucky that I had this opportunity to work with the um, uh, performing arts fields, yeah. Because as a lecturer, I saw the chances through courses or classes. I had two courses on prom Indonesian culture promotions and, oh no, three more. And cross-cultural courses, mm -hmm. three. And then um, I thought that if we learned, if the students learned culture, it wouldn't be 
uh, possible only in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And I only had like one semester, 14 uh, meetings per semester. Yeah. And I had to do projects more so that they could really embody what culture means. Mm-hmm. Because I am also concerned that not all young people, they understand their own culture. Yeah. They don't even speak their own language, right? They don't really see things uh, culturally speaking. Yeah, Because when people talk about Indonesia, something that goes first is culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was But, funny. One of your students told me they don't even own any batik. That happens, yeah. yeah. When the... Um, It was also interesting when I did the my spontaneous translation project because I I did it for several years. Yeah, so I tra- uh, I translated Japanese puppets from Japanese to English. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some people they understood the story because of my translations. Yeah, yeah, not the Japanese uh, language. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then in my classrooms, I had folklore projects. So it was like in you know, a one framework. Yeah, because I also learned about UNESCO thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I learned. Um, I started to work uh, my folklore project, yeah, and I asked my students to collect stories because I I see that my students come from different areas in Indonesia, and it will be very amazing and significant uh, contributions mm-hmm. to what do you call to cultural literacy. Yeah. Um, that one student contributes one story from the the area. Yeah. So can you imagine if I have like 33 students in one t- classroom? That means 33 stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I published a book too. Yeah. Yeah, with their writings. And uh, I had my friends to edit. Yeah, or maybe someday you can also edit my <laughs> the book, yeah, the the volumes. And it this year will be the third editions, okay. the third series. Yeah. Because um, usually semester one. Shh. Semester one. I'm working on this. And then I had the digital storytellings with the kanjil stories. But yeah. It was in, during the pandemic. We couldn't go out. Yeah. And then I I had the the storybooks yeah, of kanjil. It was written by Pa Eddie and Bu Iron Richie from Australia. And I used the, the books and for my class projects. And then they made their own puppets mm-hmm. with the characters. And the stories are originally from Indonesia. Mm-hmm. And then they... They had to create the what's it called recorded presentation using technology. Yeah. So it's a digital storytelling. So now until today, I had like uh, I have um twenty or twenty five videos here for okay. class projects. Yeah. yeah. The, and this semester, uh, I have uh, two no two classes will do the same projects, and then the other things the radio broadcasts. Yeah, it's also part of the. Preservations because uh, the radio broadcast here is aired by the community radio. Mm-hmm. I I don't do anything commercials here with mm-hmm. the radio because uh, commercial radio they will require more. Like they're really demanding yeah, if they yeah. have uh, the broadcasters or DJs or anything. Like, and I think my students are not ready for that. So that's why I work with the radio here, Balabudaya uh, Minomartani, yeah, to facilitate. And then since uh, last year, I had a program, yeah. I have five students doing the broadcast. Then after that, um, I have my intern students coming from Holland. Um, she was working on two programs, Global Chain and Indonesia Anime. And then we have uh, three different programs. Why is really important? It is part of the preservation of Indonesian culture because... 
um, this radio comu- uh, community radio works more on the cultural values. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't know how to do the um, cultural skills or artistic skills, but the values will be transferred to the audience. Do you worry at all about tourism negatively impacting the preservation of Indonesian culture, especially places like Bali? Yes, of course. Uh, tourism does not always make us happy. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes um, uh, there are damages, there are some issues, concerns, yeah, about the effect or the consequences of the um, their visits because not all tourists, they're good tourists. Yeah. Yeah, and not everybody has a nice etiquette. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about Bali, it's not only the it's not the only thing that I'm concerned yeah. because when uh, tourism comes to this uh, area and Jogja is part of the tourist uh, destination that okay. is quite popular in Indonesia, even though it's not uh, when we see Jogja, it will be different from the uh, the characteristics of Bali. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have different landscapes. Yeah, they have yeah. different um, nuance and, and ambience. Yeah. And um, when we talk about tourism, then we, we also talk about the economic wheels, the economic wheels and the practitioners. Yeah. We also have the ideas on the community-based tourism still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because uh, when we talk about um, revenue, we talk about the cultural identity that is marketed for the mm-hmm. tourism. Sometimes uh, there are changes they are transformed. For mm-hmm. example, like a puppet show. Uh, normally, we have like four hours, five hours, six hours, and then yeah. we only have like a 30 minutes yeah. or 15 minutes only for the sake of the tourists. They don't want to to stay longer. They want to see something quick and fast. Yeah. And then in a very simple presentation, it's not very maximal, not very optimal. Yeah. It's very minimal. It's the thing is that we have that event yeah. going on for like the- Last night. <laughs> For the purpose, yeah. yeah, so that's different. And then uh, it's like there is something that we learned that we experienced, but um, it also endanger the i the the very identity of the culture itself. I yeah. Think. yeah. Well, Professor Dewey, it's been a pleasure. Do you have any parting words of advice for students, particularly Indonesian students? Before you want to know other. Uh, foreign culture so you should know your own because when you start learning like for example English language because when we talk about English language this is not something that we can learn in the classroom because when we have the technology we have the gadgets sophisticated ones all the words all the terms are in English that means you also learn that language mm-hmm. yeah um, uh, basically when you learn the language that means you also learn the culture but um, it will be more significant if you know yours first, then you get to know uh, you get to know other things because you will be having a strong foundation of who you are. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. To continue your learning, go to our website, discoveringacademia.com. There you will find the show notes, resources mentioned, ways to get involved, and much more pertaining to each professor. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe leave a review, and join our newsletter to stay up to date. Until next time.